I want to revisit that community sharing for a moment. So the question was, how have you seen God work in your life in the last week? And there's a lot of reasons why you might not choose to share something on a Sunday morning that might be valid reasons. But if nothing comes to mind when you hear that question, I would suggest to you that you're not looking hard enough. And so you need to be looking for where is God working in your life. And I know this sounds pretty weird, but I'm going to risk it anyway. But I feel like God said there was someone that needed to share that didn't. He didn't give me a name. I don't know who that might be. But I just want to open that back up for a minute. Maybe there's more than one of you that God wanted you to share where you've seen him working in your life. And you need to do that this morning. So if anybody has anything else they want to share, now's the time to do that. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. So you guys, when we do community sharing, whether it's in a big group or whether it's in a small group, the Bible tells us that we need to come having something to share with the community. So be ready to do that. Like, don't hold back on that. It's okay if you don't share every time, and it's okay if you feel emotional and you don't want to do it that that day. But when you can, we want to hear what you have to say. It builds up the rest of the body. Okay, just a couple of um, kind of administrative things. One of them is we're doing communion at the end. So if you're sitting there holding your little communion cup, you can put it under your chair in your pocket or whatever. Like we're not going to need it for a little while. And then the other one is that um, we may go a little bit longer this morning than we normally do on Sunday morning. So if you need to go to the restroom, feel free to get up and do that. Get a snack off the snack table if you need to. Um, But just refrain from having conversations with those next to you unless it's time to do that. Because we really want you to focus in on what we're talking about this morning. So this summer, uh, we were coming off of a year of meeting on Zoom and meeting outside and social distancing. And then also our church had just changed over the last couple of years, kind of in the makeup. And so as a staff, we started talking about who are we anymore? And more importantly, who does God want us to be as a community? And so we prayed and we talked, and this morning we want to share with you some of the results of those conversations and prayers through talking about the vision, the mission, and the values of Denton North Church. And we've just entitled this this morning, Who Are We? And I'm going to start out by talking about our past. I'm going to talk about the past of our family of churches and the past of specifically the Denton North Church. So hang on, and we're going to dive in. So as I've shared with you before, the Garland Church, which was the first church and the church from through through which all the other churches have been planted, was born out of a meeting where people met to talk about planting a new church, but it turned into a confession of sin and prayers for forgiveness and healing from that sin. And then in November of 97, that group of people plus some more um, tried to be obedient to God and started a church that met in a warehouse in Garland. And there were about 35 of us at that first meeting. And it was the Worsham family, 
the royal family, which is Ray Royal's family. It was ours. It was the Davises, Les and Judy and Brad and Garrett and Grant. And it was some families you may not know, the Johnsons, the Draytons, the Mullings, and the Rexes. And I'm sure I've left a few out. In March of 98, so just a few months later, because we knew we were gonna need air conditioning because we live in Texas and that warehouse was not air conditioned, we started looking for a new place to meet. And one of our members got a message on his phone saying, you need to call the Walnut Village Church of Christ, they will rent you space. The thing was, we did not know the man that called and left that message, nor did we know how he knew we were looking for a space. But we went ahead and called the Walnut Village Church, and we arranged to start uh, renting space from them. And so after we began meeting there, then soon after that, the church there dissolved its membership. They gifted us the building that they were meeting in, and many of them became members of the Northeast Church. And so that's where people like John and Marianne McWilliams, along with their daughter, who now is Mandy Lanciani and uh, Kim Carrillo, those two, they joined our church. Danny and Linda Welch, and then some, again, families you may not know, Bud and Linda Van Hooser, Joanne and Leonard Thompson, Jody, Judy O'Bright, and Roy and Tavana Butler. And what I want you to know about this group of people is that this tiny group of about 25 for several years had been holding on by the skin of their teeth to not lose the building that they were meeting in, not knowing who they were holding on to it for. They were just trying to be obedient to Christ. And a group of us that were meeting in a warehouse didn't know what we were gonna do, but we were just trying to be obedient to Christ. And God brought those two together and blessed us immensely through the gifting of their building. They only owed about $28,000 on that building to pay it off, but were about to lose it. And one of our members paid the whole chunk off as soon as they gifted it to us. And so that's the Garland Church in Garland, the one that we use for weddings and for meetings and for seminars and stuff. And how many people has that church blessed over the years? From the beginning, we were a church planting church. The first church we planted was called the Mission Church, and it was in Plano, and that was followed by Wiley Northeast, Denton North, Arlington Central, and most recently, East Plano Fellowship. We also started the Focus Ministry through the Garland Church, started on the campus of UTD and of Richland College. Some of you may not know that. Um, and then, of course, it spread out to many other campuses, including TWU, UNT, and NCTC here in Denton. Each money, the Garland Church, each money, each month, the Garland Church would collect money to seed a church plant at some point. So they were just putting money in the bank so that when there was a church plant, they could send them off with a chunk of money. They talked about church planting so that people would have a vision for being a part of a church plant, leading a church plant, moving to do that. And because of that, this group was able to plant churches. My question for you this morning is who among you 
have a vision to lead a church plant or to be a part of a church plant because that's still part of who we are as God's church. Early on in being a church, we started an annual church retreat. We called it the all-church retreat to distinguish it from men's retreats or women's retreats or teen retreats. Um, And it was where everybody came and went from the oldest to the youngest. They were at camp. We stayed Friday to Sunday, and we had a Friday night session, a Saturday morning session, free time all Saturday afternoon, a Saturday night session, and a Sunday morning session. So what I want you to hear is that you guys got off easy this weekend. (laughs) You only had a Sunday morning session and a praise and worship session Saturday night. Um, But the first year that we went, it rained the entire weekend. I mean, poured rain, not just a little bit of rain. And so we stayed inside the whole weekend. It was a group of people that didn't know each other very well. We played games together, we talked and laughed together, and we created a huge mudslide down a hill that was behind the uh, place that we were meeting in. And that was great. When we would go on the all-church retreat, the men and the boys would stay in dorms, and the women and the girls would stay in dorms. And the best thing about it for the kids is that they got to eat junk food stay up late and play outside as long as they wanted to with their friends, and they absolutely loved it. Um, One year, our son Austin got strep throat and couldn't go, and he cried the entire weekend and begged us to let him go out to the retreat. Those retreats became a centerpiece for building relationships with God and one another and for raising up leaders. For many of the ministers that you see on campuses and at churches right now, the All Church Retreat was where they preached their first sermon. As we've planted churches, our family of churches has stayed close. You may not be aware of it, but we share ministers, we share ministries, camps, members, we share money, and we share the Northeast Building. We really have all things in common like they did in the book of Acts. Many of us have longstanding friendships among all of the churches, and there's not much you could need that someone in the family of the churches wouldn't have. Um, We've had people need um, legal counsel. We've had people need financial counseling. We've had people starting businesses on their own that needed to talk to someone that had done that before that could tell them how to set it up. There literally is nothing you could need, I don't think, that we couldn't find in our family of churches. And how blessed are we to be part of a family of churches that love one another so deeply and love God so deeply. So then in 2012, Kurt and I decided to put our house on the market so that we could be a part of a church plant. And our shepherds at the Garland Church asked us if we would be willing to come to Denton. So as Kurt and our family and I talked about and prayed about this opportunity, Kurt said, when I was in college, a group of my friends and I went to Galveston for the weekend. And on the way back, we stopped in Denton and spent the night And the next morning when I got up, he said, the only way I know how to describe it is I just felt God say to me, you're going to live here one day. And he said, I believe that this invitation to be part of the Denton North Church is a fulfillment of what God was telling me then. 
And so as we talked through that, I was like, yeah, I think you're right. I think that is exactly what that is. So we decided that we would move here and become part of this church plant. They asked all of us that were going to participate in the church plant to go to Wiley for a year. So we went to the Wiley church for a year. And remember that seed money I told you that Garland would collect every Sunday for years? They gave that to us so that we could start the Denton North Church with that. Wiley also took up a special contribution and gave us all of that money so that when we started Denton North, we had a nice amount of money in the bank to be able to pay ministers, to be able to find facilities to meet in, and to pay for all the startup things that it takes to start a church in a new city. Kurt and I were both on staff at the Northeast Church, and they sent us out anyway. They let us go and start a new church, encouraged us to go and start a new church, even though it was going to leave holes in the staff that needed to be filled. Brad led the starting of the focus ministry here in Denton, and so they asked him to lead the plant of the Denton North Church. And he worked for free for several years when we first started not taking anything for what he did for us. One of the things I want you to hear as I'm talking about some of our history is I want you to hear how much people invested in you and how much people invested in Denton North and how much people invested in the kingdom. Because I think that's really important. From time to time, I'll hear that our college students don't feel um, like they're very valued or have a place at Denton North. And I'm like, well, that's ironic because we started this church for you guys. Um, But I want you to hear what people sacrificed and what they gave, not only for God and for his kingdom, but for you as well. I came along to do ministry and administrative work. However, after we got here, Brad and I were meeting one day, and he said, "Um, by the way, I listed you as my co-minister on the website. I hope that's okay. And I said, "Um, I don't know about that. (laughs) But that's how I became the co-minister with Brad. Kurt was one of our shepherds along with the Wiley shepherds because we only had him. They also oversaw our church. And Kurt commuted to Richardson for three years to work every day when 35 was under construction. We later added Don as an elder, and Don and Debbie and Sarah have been faithful from the beginning to drive from Frisco to be a part of the Denton North Church. As Brad and I were talking about this the other day, Brad actually found an email from one of the first meetings that we were having in Denton North before the church actually started meeting. And I want you to listen to some of the people that were a part of that group This is going to be people that were moving to start Denton North, people that already lived here and were on focus staff, as well as some people that were graduating and going to be uh, staying behind. Some of these people actually wound up um, following through, and some of them wound up going to different churches and helping out with other things. But it was Brad, Chelsea, which Brad and Chelsea were not married yet, me and Kurt, Les and Judy, who also drove up all these years from um, Plano to be a part of the church. Ryan Plache, who picked up and moved here. The Walton family, who picked up and moved here. Chris and Amanda Rowleader, Danielle Durbus, and Al Pickering, who all wound up going to different churches. 
Danielle Rodriguez, Matt Wills, Grant Trotter, who I think was an apprentice at the time, but then chose to stay here after that. Melissa Kenfield, Matt Clark, Tom Cuisson, Glenn Lanier, Paul Piepenbrock, Austin Freeman, who lived down the street in a house of guys from our house, Brian Salcedo, Anna Finout, Becca Carell, who lived across the street with a house of women, Joseph Kaminsky, Albert Rodriguez, and then Sarah King and Miriam Van Craney, who lived next door to us, were all a part of that first meeting that we had. We met on campus once a month in 2013, and then in 2014, all of those that were going to moved up to Denton, and we started meeting weekly at the Martin Luther King Rec Center. We were mostly college students. Of our number, we had maybe 20 non-student adults. We wanted to serve the community, and MLK provided the perfect place to do that. They did a backpack giveaway that was filled, the backpack was filled with school supplies, and they gave those away before school started every year. They did a Thanksgiving dinner for seniors. They did a Christmas party for all of the kids in the neighborhood. They did an Easter party. Um, they did all kinds of activities. Oh, sorry. Oh, I'm so, I had it written down. I just skipped right over it. The Haunted House. Yes, thank you for reminding me of that. It's actually my favorite activity. <laughs> but yeah, we got to participate in all those things and be a part of that community, which was really special and neat. We also went door to door where we would knock doors and ask people if there was any way we could serve them and ask them if we could pray for them. And that was a really special and neat time as well. So God really used us in that place and in that community and let us be and blessed us by letting us be involved there. In October 2017, we outgrew the MLK and we moved to the GDAC where we currently are. And so out of wanting to provide a home for college students and a place for them to stay and plug in after graduation, we have changed and developed into a church that has more than 90 non-student adults, babies, toddlers, school-age kids, and many singles, young professionals, and college students. And I would say to you this morning, look what God has done through a ragtag group of people who were willing to be obedient to him. And that was the bottom line, is just doing what, what we felt God was calling us to do. Look what God has done with that. And look who we are right now. Kurt's gonna come up right now and he's gonna say a prayer of thanksgiving for what God has done for us. I just want you to know how encouraging it is to stand up here and look at all of y'all and to be here with you. It really is at our first retreat. In Psalm 77, 11, it says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. And today as we pray, we're just going to be, or at least on this first prayer, we're going to be remembering what God has done through our church through this past eight years. And Leslie's already covered some of them, but we're just going to Go to God in prayer and just thank him for some of those things and, and just to be grateful. Let's pray. God, I just want to thank you. We, we sang about you're a good, good father, and you really are. And you've been good to us, Lord. Um, uh, like 
Leslie said, a ragtag group of people brought together to just serve you, Lord. And we just want to be obedient to you. And we want to continue to be obedient to you in, in everything we do, Lord. And we know we won't always do that, but we ask for your help in that area. Lord, we just want to say thank you for, for Brad and his team that went before us and helped start the college ministry here at UNT, TWU, and NCTC. Just thank you for the work that was started there. I want to thank you for all the post, the past and the, and the present focus ministry staff and for all the college students that you've sent us. And Lord, help us to always be good stewards of those students who send us and help us to give us wisdom and just being lights to them and pointing them to you. Lord, I just want to thank you, um, like was already said, for the adults that you've given us. You know, we started out with about 15, and now we have over 90 adults, Lord. And I just thank you that a lot of you graduated and you stayed and you believed in what God was doing here. And I, I thank you for that, and I thank God for that. And thank you for providing a place to meet um, the MLK and, Lord, all the the fun activities and the haunted houses that were that have taken place over the years, and and um, and just for giving us GDAC, Lord, when we needed another place, and Lord, I know that uh, in the future, if we need another place, that you will provide, and thank you for taking care of that, and Lord, thank you for growing our our, our senior leadership and all of our leadership, just spiritually and numerically, our our Chula teams, our worship and sound team, our small group leaders, and and now Jam, Lord, and just what you're doing through those teams. And just thank you for providing, being a provider in those areas. Help us to continue to grow. And thank you for uh, what you've done with the Metro Auto Ministry, Lord, and how that's helped so many people in our community. And thank you for Brad and, and just the individuals that have helped and all the individuals that have helped support that ministry, just financially, prayerfully, and in other ways, Lord, just to really help people in our community. What a, what a blessing. And Lord, thank you for being Jaira and for providing for our resources and for, for, for the staff and the facilities and the community and, and for all the, the, the financial resources we needed to, ha- to get some things done and just to help people out. There's just so many, so many stories, Lord, that, be, that we, could, we could tell about uh, your, um, your providing for us, and we thank you for that. Help us always to remember who you are what you have done, and who we belong to. Through Christ we pray, and the church said, Amen. Okay, so our vision. So this is one thing that came out of us talking about who we've become, um, just in terms of like our makeup and who all is a part of our church. And our vision for the family of churches has always been to be a place where hearts are turned to God and lives are changed. And we couldn't really improve on that vision. And that's what we want, is we want people to come to one of our churches and to see God and to have their life changed by him. We want that for all of us. And so not in any way indicating that this would be the first time someone's heart was turned to God. Maybe it is, maybe it's not. Or the first time someone's life was changed, maybe it is, maybe it's not. But a place where that can happen and a place where that's our goal. And the best way I know 
to explain this to you is through personal stories. So I asked Kiana if she would come up and share, and then I'm going to have Mason come up and share when she's finished, just about how God has turned her heart to him and how he's changed her life. Um, Hi, I'm pretty nervous, but I also did just get done crying. Um, This is so sweet. Thank you for sharing that history. And I remember how impactful those retreats were and just getting to know that as a little kid, I can run up to any adult and just feel really loved. It was really special and just getting to stand here. Oh my gosh, I've never cried. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, so um, most of you probably don't know, but um, Leslie, I'm so sorry, <laughs> was a huge part of my story and how I've been connected in the family of churches. Um, long story short, um, Leslie took my grandmother and I, I'm sorry, sorry. Um, the story's pretty personal to Kiana, so that's why she's emotional this morning, and, and that's okay. And I'm anxious, <laughs> but um, yeah, and yeah, just from around when I was between four and six, um, Leslie was just a really consistent friend to my grandmother and would take us to church every Sunday, and um, just loved and served the both of us during that time so well, and I'm very grateful and blessed for her, and for me, yeah, she's the reason I'm standing here today, um, and I actually went to the school that Kurt taught at, um, as PE school teacher there. Um, and when I ended up needing a new home, Leslie helped a family within the um, Garland Church um, adopt me. And yeah, by, good, by God's goodness, I became a part of the Barber family. And my family and I went to the Garland Church until about middle school when I moved over to the Wiley Church, um, which was about a year old, I think, around that time. Um, and I got plugged into teen ministry, and Christy Von Runnen, who many of y'all know, did FOJ with me and later baptized me, and I was able um, to just create a sweet friendship with her and got to also be a part of her cheer gym, which was um, just neat to be discipled by her in both atmospheres. Um, so from that point on, I was just invested in so well um, by a youth worker named Melissa, and then uh, became more involved in the teen ministry and got to know Brianna Marble, who casted a vision um, for all the teens there that helped shape um, what Living to the Full um, talks about in John 10.10. 10. Um, and there were interns and youth workers uh, within the Wiley Church throughout those years who also, also had huge impacts on my life and spent time with me, like Ashley Obergon, Hannah McCarty, Chiazzo. Um, and through them, I got excited about going to focus school and being invested there after seeing what it did for their life. Um, my heart has been turned to Christ through God, just putting person after person um, throughout my life uh, who modeled Jesus well and make me want to look more like him. Um, Ronnie always said, I'm not here because I'm good. I'm here because God is good. And I was just thinking on this because my life would look radically different sorry, um, if I would not be standing here today and if God had not been so good and so faithful to me, even though I'm so undeserving. Um, it's so special having a church specifically planted for college students and to be plugged in here and um, connected with our other churches um, and care so much about focus. And I just love how our church doesn't do normal or impressive, but loves and serves really well. And I'm so thankful for getting to be a part of this ministry.
Yeah, I asked Kiana to share because she has a unique perspective of having grown up through our family of churches and gone to several different ones of the churches. So Kiana, thanks for sharing this morning. Okay, Mason, you want to come on up and share? I asked Mason to share because Mason has a story more specific to the Denton North Church. Can y'all hear me? There we go. Um, yeah, good morning. Um, so I didn't grow up here, wasn't affiliated with Focus or the Family of Churches or anything like that. Um, I grew up in church, but I lived in Amarillo and then graduated and moved to Denton for a job. And so I was a part of a church, but I didn't really feel like I had a great community there. And it was something, I, I knew there was something missing, but I wouldn't have put my finger that that was it, you know. But So I did have a feeling that something was missing. Um, so I was just living my life here in Denton, um, up at Summit Rock Climbing Gym, and John Glass walked up to me and just started a conversation. And then so, like, that's where our friendship began. And, like, so we would climb together, play disc golf, and then eventually he invited me to a small group. And so I started going to the Denton North Church small groups. I was in Miriam's small group and then Miriam and John's. Um, and, yeah, so through that small group, I met John, Miriam, Sam, uh, Jam, a lot of different people um, that kind of started filling in some of those community aspects. Um, met Melissa the following year, my now wife. Um, yeah. And so after I joined the small group, started dating Melissa. Um, then I actually started coming to church um, on Sunday mornings and met even more people. And so... Now, through all that, um, yeah, I just have really good friends, and people have poured into me, like Josh and Emily during Guide to Decide, like all of the, um, just, yeah, the time spent pouring into us to make sure that our marriage was good. Um, yeah, so that has been great, and I think all the people now, it's like something that I haven't had in a really long time, just the amount of people that are around me that love God, that pour into me, challenge me, and then, yeah, turn me towards God. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that, Mason. And I think it's very cool the way that God uses people that aren't um, necessarily a part of this church body anymore um, to bring about really neat blessings in our church body. Um, and he does that over and over again. Uh, but yeah, a place where hearts are turned to God and lives are changed. Those are two examples of what that looks like. And that can be for us personally, and it can be for people around us. And so the question I would have you ask yourself this morning, or questions, is are you actively living out this vision? Do you come to church on Sunday seeking to have your heart turned to God and your life changed? Do you go to work during the week seeking to tell somebody about the God that changed your life and how he can change theirs as well and watching him work in that? Let's tell people about the God that changed our lives so that they can know him too and watch him change theirs. Let's be a place where hearts are turned to God and lives are changed. Okay, Josh is going to come up now, and he's going to talk about our mission and our values. Uh, 
thing. I have to follow those awesome stories and the whole history and all that stuff. I did not really know what I was getting into whenever I was like, Leslie, yeah, you can do this history and the stories and the vision. That sounds great. I'll do the mission. Mission sounds cool. Values sound awesome. But I, I uh, got the short straw for sure. So, <laughs> so one thing that this, this conversation about mission and values doesn't go a lot into is about the who. And Leslie talked about that a little bit. Who our church is and what it's looked like has changed over time. And so when you hear of missions and, and stuff from some churches, they get really specific. Maybe that's valuable. But uh, what I would say is that we want to be on mission with the people that God sends to our church. And that changes. It's been great that our church has changed to have college students and now adults and now married couples and now kids. And so whatever that looks like, however it changes over time, our mission should be the same and we will do it to whoever God gives us. Does that make sense? So we've often talked in the past about being a church for college students. We still are, and we're a church for adults, and a church for married couples, and a church for kids, and, 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 and. So we want to add into that whoever God gives us, they're part of this mission. So um, let's see. I went off script there a little bit. I think one of the things that's kind of come up as we've had conversations about the mission uh, and vision values with some of you. There's an idea for some of us, I think, that these things should never change, that these should be like concrete, stay the same forever. And that's really not what we're saying here, um, but it could stay the same. What we really want to do is follow what the Holy Spirit tells us to do as a church. And that could mean that it changes like all the time, or it could mean that it rarely ever does. Either way, our goal is not to set our agenda and then be so uh, glued to our agenda that we don't ever change. You know what I mean? The goal is to do what God wants us to do. So that's kind of the, I think, a good um, thing to keep in mind while we listen to this stuff. It's not, hey, this is what we're going to be forever. It's that as we've talked about this over the past summer, these are the things that we feel like God's told us we should be as a church for this season. Does that make sense? Sweet. So to put it simply, this is just how we feel, yeah, for this next season. So it's not super complicated. We're not like changing everything, throwing everything out, making everything new, or saying we don't want anything to change ever. We just want to be a church as individuals and as leaders and staff that listens to the Holy Spirit and lets him decide what we do, where we go, um, and what our mission is. So what is a mission? It's what we do. It's our purpose. It's our action. It's our what. It's our why. Why we do what we do. And if a mission is accurate and true and you're actually pursuing it, then it should in some way be evident to those around you what your mission is, right? If you're doing it, it should be a little clear to some people what you're doing. Hopefully, it's not uh, totally ambiguous. So I have a slight example here. Um, Starbucks, of all places, has a mission. From your perspective, as a consumer, if you've worked there or whatever, you can't answer, sorry. Okay, you have inside info. As a consumer, what is your perspective on some things that could be Starbucks mission. Anybody, shout something out. Coffee. Serve coffee. Take your money. What'd you say? Coffee on every corner. Serve dirty water, whatever. Yes, yes, spells your name incorrectly. Anybody else have anything? Anthony? Yes, really push pumpkin spice. Reinvent the pumpkin, basically. So, Based on just what we see as people who are just consumers, 
Those are the kind of things we think of as their mission or whatever. And also there's some important flubs in there too, like having holiday cup controversies, calling the cops on people of color, stuff like that that's pretty messed up. But here's what their real mission is, okay? To inspire and nurture the human spirit, one person, one cup, and one neighborhood at a time. Wouldn't that be nice? It's like inspire and nurture with what? You know? Just like burnt water, you know? It's like this thing where it's this huge lofty idea, but they're just selling something and making money. And most of us have no idea about this mission. We just go give them money to get a good or whatever. I think that's what corporate missions can be like. They're this really lofty, poetic rewording of we sell something to make money. And that's not inherently bad, but what we're talking about, when we say mission as a church, as people who follow Jesus, is completely different. It's a purpose for our lives. We don't have to look far for that, honestly, or be wordsmiths like the corporate gurus at Starbucks to make up a mission. We have it in Jesus. I think we're hardwired by God to need a purpose, honestly. We need a why. If not, then what have all the philosophers for centuries been working so hard on? They're just every, you know, every century has the philosophers just spending their days at a desk trying to figure out why we're here. So well-known psychologist and neurologist Viktor Frankl has like legendary writings and lectures around this, this simple topic of meaning, of why we're here, why humans need meaning. So Viktor Frankl survived horrible conditions in concentration camps during the Holocaust. And from his observations during his time there of himself and many others he was around, he deduced that people who had and maintained some kind of overarching purpose and meaning to their lives stood a much better chance of enduring the torture, labor, and starvation of the concentration camps. For some, it was their faith, their faith in God. For others, it was like Frankel, it was the hope of reuniting with family, a spouse, kids, uh, parents, whatever it was, kept them going, kept them surviving these horrible situations, horrible conditions. Meaning and purpose, it's powerful. It is like very ingrained in us. It sustains us through horrible things like a Holocaust. And it's why we're here. It's, why we're, it's what we're all looking for in some capacity, whether we're really aware of that or not. And so that's why it's absolutely crucial that we turn to Jesus for that. If it's something we're always looking for and we're always needing, we will, might look in all the wrong places for it. I think many of us can easily do that. We have to look to Jesus for a meaning, for our purpose in life. So our mission is not that different from what you've already heard before. It's to make immature disciples who love, serve, and share Jesus. Write that down. To make immature disciples who love, serve, and share Jesus. You probably don't have to wonder too hard where we got a lot of that from. <laughs> it's from the Great Commission, a lot of it. In Matthew 28... Verses, verse 18, Jesus came near and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So this covers two things really well. It covers the making disciples, go and preach the gospel to everyone, and the maturing, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. Maturing disciples, 
making them and then teaching them to follow Jesus and teaching them to slowly look more and more like Jesus all the time. And we've also woven in what Jesus states as the greatest commandment in there. When the Pharisees, this is in Matthew 22, verse 34. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced Sadducees, they came together. One of them, an expert in the law, asked a question to test him. Teacher, which command in the law is the greatest? And he said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. So making maturing disciples who love, serve, and share Jesus. The greatest commandment is to love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. Love is first and greatest, and then we follow. We love God first, he loves us first, and then we, we begin to look more and more like him. And this might seem way too simple of a mission in some ways, just stealing, plagiarizing straight out of Matthew. But it's also just so clear. I mean, imagine how confusing it would be to be a barista trying to figure out whether you're inspiring and nurturing the human spirit or, <laughs> or did you accidentally just make coffee instead? I just, it'd be so confusing, honestly. This is really simple. It's really clear. It's, I think this is the sort of thing that Jesus was getting at when he said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light because this isn't an easy thing to do in some ways, but it is really simple. Jesus gives us really simple guidelines to follow. And he made sure to tell us that he's with us always. That's what he says at the end of the Great Commission. He's with us always at the end of the age. We aren't doing this alone. That's such good news. <laughs> Jesus is with us while we're trying to follow him. And according to Matthew, this is the last thing, the Great Commission is the last thing Jesus said before he left. So it's pretty important. I mean, Jesus, I think, knew, <laughs> knew what he was doing. I think he wanted it to be something that we kept and cherished and put in the front of our minds as a mission. So that's our mission as a church. And do you want to know if you're doing that, if you're part of it? Do you want to know if you're on mission? Well, are you making and maturing disciples? And do you love and serve and share Jesus with others? That's how you can know if you're on mission. It's pretty simple, pretty clear. And I think it's important to understand that there's urgency to all of this. That's one of the things I think is really crucial to being, believing and actually being active in a mission of any kind. Time is limited. We don't have infinite time, unfortunately. There's still people who don't know Jesus, who don't follow him, who aren't aware of him, or don't know him like we know him. You know, they just know what they've heard. They, they've had not the best image of him uh, put forward to them. And that's sad. So there's urgency. There's people who just don't know. They don't have what we have. We got to share that. I think the biggest downside with missions is because of how they're intentionally broad and they encompass a lot of things, they can feel distant from your daily life and they can feel really forgettable. They can be easy to forget because they're so broad. It's not, you know, just something that you are supposed to do today specifically. It's all our lives. And then we kind of just forget about them and go on in our lives. And I think for, for me and my journey of faith through my life, that's been one of my struggles. I feel like my whole life, even though I grew up in church, I never understood or really internalized or really got excited about a mission around Jesus. It was habit, it was tradition, it was, you know, whatever. I think a lot of us come from a similar background like that. If you grew up in church, it might've taken you a while to figure out what the whole deal was, why this is such a big deal. <laughs> so for me, that's something that I, I would say made me not really jazzed about being part of some Christian community, some sort of church thing. When I left high school, graduated, went to college. It was something that I was like, well, I could do with that, I guess. I mean, 
That was sort of just a habit, just a tradition. But whenever you have a mission in mind, that changes everything. I mean, if I didn't have one in mind, why would I? What, what's, what urgency is there? What directive do I have? What's important? What are, my, what are my orders, so to speak? If I didn't have that, why would I want to be part of a Christian community? But when we have a clear idea in mind of what we're supposed to do, what we're called to do, and that there's urgency to it, then of course we can't just take a break. We can't just sit back and say, I could do without that. So let it not be that way with us, okay? Let's not be people who have a lofty corporate mission thing that we carve uh, in a, uh, on the building or put on the wall and it doesn't actually matter to our daily lives. Find your way to care about this mission. It's not something, it's yours, it's ours, it's all of ours together. It's not something that you just have to uh, pretend to be part of when you're at work, you know, like a barista. Find your way to internalize this, remember it, carry it with you daily. Find a way to make this mission your mission, not just the church you go to's mission that you think you know pretty well. Maybe get a face tattoo if that helps you. That's one option, but think about it. There's other ways, but face tattoos on the table, okay? So if someone does that, that was my idea. Okay, so let's switch over to talking about values now. So values are, there's a lot of ways to think about values in like a church or organization. And sometimes it's really as simple as just like style or personality, right? It's like, oh, here's what we're kind of like. If you're around us, you'll get this vibe from us. Um, and I think that's, that's how it is most in the corporate world, world too. But other times it's a way of outlining what you're really good at. Like, hey, we're super good at this stuff. This is, when you're around us, you'll know we're great at this. We're great at customer service. We're great at whatever. But I think a good way to think about this for our church is distinctives. Distinctives for our church specifically. And there's lots of churches in the DFW area. There's lots of churches in Denton. We want to hone in on what makes our church distinct, what we think we can do well, and try not to compare ourselves to other churches. There's churches who have huge numbers, big buildings, lots of staff, lots of programs, and maybe we'll be like that someday, maybe not, who knows. But we want to highlight what we feel like we can be distinctive for our community right now and what we feel like God can do through us right now. So you'll notice that this list of values I'm going to go through in a second aren't all things that we're all already good at. That makes sense? We didn't just list down like, hmm, we're really good at this. We're really good at throwing things together at the last minute or something like that. We didn't just come up with stuff like that. Um, or we're really, we've got a pretty good sense of humor. Like we didn't put that in our values. I'm sorry. But we do have a good sense of humor. So some of these are things that we are good at. And some of these are things that we're going to have to really strive to be good at. Things that we feel like God wants us, calls us to be good at, but that aren't necessarily our strengths right now. Does that make sense? So it's a mix. There's some things we absolutely need to grow in here. So I'm going to quickly fly over these. We're not going to do a deep dive in each value at all right now, but write them down. Chew on them, discuss them together, discuss them with us. Uh, and perhaps we can do a deep dive on each one someday in a future sermon series. But for now, we just want to share these with you, get, get your gears turning on them and get you thinking about them. So here we go. Our umbrella value that kind of is the one over all of the values that I'll list in a bit is just simple devotion to Jesus. It's, it's just really simple. It's intentionally inclusive, simple devotion to Jesus. 
It's not a constitution, not a statement of faith. Like some churches have really long ones, not, not knocking that, but this is our sort of, our just umbrella term for this is just simple devotion to Jesus. There's a axiom called the doctrine of inclusion that you may have heard if you've been in focus. And that just means that if people are devoted to Jesus, they're on our team. You know, starting with what's, what unites us. People are, are devoted to Jesus, they're on our team. They're part of what we're doing. That's not to say we won't have disagreements and important subpoints to discuss, but this is the umbrella that gets us all on the same team. Simple devotion to Jesus. And all these values below this are things that we're taking from Jesus himself. So it makes sense to kind of put that at the top. The next one is deep relationships. Deep relationships. You've heard us talk about this a lot in the friendship series so far. One-on-one is how it's done. Love your neighbor as yourself. These things that we talked about, we've talked a lot about how Jesus was so purposeful with his friendship, so purposeful with his relationships, with groups and individually. He made deep relationships. And sometimes he did that very quickly with people. Deep relationships is something we want to be a distinctive and it already has been for many of us in our community. Many of us have stayed around because we made good friendships, deep relationships. Even though a lot of other things maybe weren't right in our life and weren't where we wanted them to be, friendship has kept us and sustained us. We want to be a community that, you know, that's, there's no you know, price tag or budget or whatever on deep relationships. That's something we can do well right now and many of us already do but it's something that we want to be a distinctive about our church is that relationships are forefront that we want people to feel like they have close friends whenever they come to our church and stay around and get to know people a little bit. And that's something that we want to be at the forefront because Jesus did that. The next value is growing leaders, growing leaders. And this is how Jesus did it. He did that exact thing. He grew leaders. He invested in people. He taught them. And then pretty quickly, he sent them out. Sometimes that meant sending them pretty far away. Other times it meant just giving them jobs to do, giving them tasks, giving them responsibility. Like on a mission statement, this is where we want to both, you know, make the disciples and mature them, grow them into people who are leaders, who can take things and go take the gospel to other people, go plant another church at some point, or just become a leader and be in charge of stuff. There's not a lot of hoops to jump through. You know, we want to basically give people responsibility as soon as they're willing to do it. <laughs> so we want to be a church that grows leaders. People who hang around and be part of our community will be invested in and grown and matured into leaders. Now, I kind of have a sticking point about this where I feel like, I don't know if you guys spend any time on LinkedIn, but the whole like, vibe around leadership in the past like six years. Yeah, McGinty's shaking his head. I'm with you. There's this, like there's people making money talking about leadership who, who knows if they've ever led any group anywhere in their life. <laughs> they find a great quote or they really sound cool. They have a cool accent. And so they'll do a video where they talk about leadership and it gets all kinds of likes and bounces around LinkedIn. LinkedIn is quite a place. Stay away if you can. Just, do, just get on there if you need a job, and then get right back off, okay? So my sticking point about this is so many times people talk about leadership and use the word leader. I think in our context, we could just replace it with disciple. We don't want to have this huge distinction between like, oh, leaders are over here, followers are over here. 
There is, uh, you know, a good amount of us following Jesus. That's important. But I think when we talk about things like leaders and leadership, disciple and discipleship could slide right in there instead because it's something we're all called to in an equal way. It looks different. Our giftings are different for sure. But we want to be people who, when it comes to talking about leadership like that, we're talking about all of us, really. We're talking about growing leaders. We're talking about all of us. We're all included in that. So that's one of my, one of my peeves. I've got more, but that's the only one today, I think. So the next value is everyday outreach. Everyday outreach. And this means making outreach a norm, not like a boring version of outreach. Sometimes everyday can be used negatively. We mean it positively every day, every day, every day, every day, every day. And this, this idea of making outreach a regular part of our lives, this is how Jesus did it. This is how he lived his life. He was always looking for opportunities to reach out to people. The people that God puts in our lives, that's what I mean by every day, people who we live near, who are neighbors, people who we work with, people who frequent the same coffee shops, who frequent the same climbing gym, looking at you, Mason. Um, that's how he's here. You know what I'm saying? Yep. <laughs> And this is one that we can definitely grow in. I think there's people who just naturally do this. Some of us who think of ourselves as introverts or whatever, this might sound scary, but it's what we're called to. It's a value we want to really heat up. Everyday outreach, we're not talking about putting on a thing that is a huge thing where we go out to a neighborhood. That's still good stuff. But during the weeks, during our daily lives, we want to and need to be people who are reaching out to the people that God puts in our lives. Imagine just this room only of people, this amount, however, in here, like 80 or 90 or something, if we all were doing that, that's a lot of people that God can use to be looking around at who he puts in your path that you could reach out to, become friends with, um, or just have a good conversation with them and just show that you care. There's all kinds of things that, that God can use if we just look for those opportunities. So everyday outreach is something that I think we can definitely grow in. It's not one of those we put on the list that said, we said, we're already all amazing at this. It's a hard one. It's really hard. So don't feel guilted, but just know this is one that's going to take intentional effort for us. There's a really good um, focus axiom for this as well. It's not hard to be most people's best friend. It's not hard to be most people's best friend. Not that every person you ever come across has to be your new best friend, but some of the things it takes, just caring about somebody, listening to them, asking about them, um, just showing care for what they like, what they do, their story, that goes a long way. Sometimes none of the friends that someone's had have ever been that kind of person. We have the kind of love and care for people in the example we have in Jesus that is much higher standard of friendship than what the world typically has. So just know that it's really not that hard to be most people's best friend. The standards there are not something that for us is super weird or out of the norm. We're used to it. We're kind of all best friends probably in some way. Compared to some people's idea of friendship, they might think, you guys are weird how you're all best friends and you all know everything about each other. That's weird, but we like weird. <laughs> Let's go bring weird to everybody. The next value is warm community. Warm. Not worm, warm. We really wrote this one down because of how cold it is in the GDAC. 
So this one comes uh, from a few places in scripture, but one of them is just John thirteen thirty four, when Jesus says, I give you a new command, love one another, just as I have loved you. You will also love one another. By this, everyone will know you're my disciples if you love one another. So whereas everyday outreach is a lot about the kind of individual, what we do in our week, this is what it's like when we're together as a whole. We want to create together this warm community that people can tell that we are God's disciples when we're together. How we love each other really shows that. I think another great example of this is the, the early church. Some of the descriptions we have of the early church aren't all great, but there's things like they were all together. They shared with one another. They gave when people had need. They ate together. They um, listened to the disciples' teachings together. Things like that, that just this warm community they created that makes a huge difference when people experience it. And that's a huge value. And that's one that I think that we... Um, many of us have already experienced a lot and that's why we're here. That's a value that we want to make sure it does not fall out of our minds. We want to keep that one going always. And then our last value is a love of God's word. A love of God's word. One of the absolute best ways to know the father, to know Jesus is to read God's word. And it's not just to build up knowledge and it's not to read it just because you should. That's where we get into some weird headspaces, I think. But it's to know God, to know Jesus. It, there's a whole book about it. And we can read it whenever we want. We can know God really well just from reading what he's already given us. I think this one underlines all the ones above it. To have a simple devotion to Jesus, to follow his lead, we have to know him. We have to know what Jesus was like. To, to get even close to knowing how to follow him. And also, I don't have to tell you how impossible it is to follow Jesus' example on our own. If we try to follow Jesus' example on our own with our own effort, our own will, it is one, exhausting and impossible, and two, it just makes us feel horrible because we can't do it. We have to know Jesus and we have to depend heavily on him to be able to follow him. We absolutely need Jesus to change our hearts. And that starts with just knowing him. So one of the focus axioms that they use to kind of reference this, or we would like to use to reference this, is leaders are readers. Leaders are readers. A love of God's word. So now I'm going to turn things to Don, who's going to come pray about the future of our church. Kurt earlier prayed about the history, thanking God, praising God for what's, what's happened before and what God's done. Don's going to spend some time praying for the future of our church, where God's going to lead us. I can get technology to help me here. First of all, thank you guys for being part of our church family. It means a lot. It really does. You guys have encouraged me, hopefully as much as I've been able to encourage you, not through my goofiness, uh, but we have been blessed with such an amazing church family. And as was pointed out earlier, you know, where we were in our past, here we are as we begin a future. And I'm so glad that you guys are part of that. And I thank God for that all the time. And more than anything else, I want all of you to know how much you are loved and how much you are prayed for every day. 
because we know that's our future. And I'm so glad you're part of that. Um, lots of things to look forward to. So I'm going to read my list as I pray, but let's just be thinking vision, future, what we have to offer to the community, and not just to Denton, guys, like Leslie was talking about. There's opportunities for us to plant other churches out there. Many of you right now, you don't know it yet. It's probably a little seed thought in the back of your head, but you're going to be planting a church somewhere. That's exciting. I, I never thought I'd be a part of a church plant. You know, mission came along when we first were introduced to Denton, I mean, to uh, Garland, and now here we are in Denton. It's one of the best things, best things ever. So let's pray. God, you have, uh, you've blessed us in more ways than we can count. Um, thank you for our past. Thank you for where you've brought us from and where we are now as we begin a future. Uh, things like Metro Auto Ministry. You know, we pray for the fundraising right now that's going on because we know that's going to be a future for us. We know that's going to be something that you will continue to bless other people with. So we lift that up to you. And God, we thank you for focus. I look at this group right now and I see faces that I'm so thankful for. They are part of a program that's amazing. Thank you for that. And just allow us to be a church that will uh, kind of see that and grow even more as we connect with, uh, with focus. Uh, Father, we are thankful that we're looking at developing more and diverse leaders. Thank you for BIPOC. Thanks for opening our eyes to some things and helping us to, to be listening and to create opportunities for leadership within our midst. And we just lift that up to you as well. Um, as we've listened to babies crying this weekend, I'm so thankful. Thank you for blessing us with families and children that are not just going to be a jam program, but they're going to be a youth program for us in years to come. And we'll be sending our kids to camps, and that's exciting. Thank you for that, God. Thanks for blessing us there. And, uh, oh gosh, uh, just thanks for Kurt and I, our relationship. Thanks for allowing us to be leaders here and to shepherd you people. And by shepherd, we mean that in the truest sense of the word. We don't see us as being any more special other than we're just here working with you. And thank you for that. Uh, thanks for seeing us through some really tough times through COVID. And we don't know what else will face us in the future, but you know, we, we know that you're going to be with us, that you're going to provide for us, just like you provided MLK, the GDAC. Uh, who knows what facility we may need next, but, uh, but we know that you're in that, that you're going to take care of that, provide for us. So uh, thanks for allowing us to create an opportunity where we can pray more, our shepherd's prayer time. And I'm, I'm thankful that we can, we've begun it and that we can continue to grow that. So, and for the opportunities to reach out to our community, just help us to look for those opportunities as they come up and give us vision, help us to just be Jesus, to be real to the people we're around. And that's how it starts. Just thanks for our small groups and uh, allowing those to grow.
that they've been opportunities for uh, introduction to our church family. Thanks for that, God. Uh, we are so thankful to you for being with us and loving us like you do. Uh, you've taken a very small number and you've blessed it into something really large and it will only grow larger. And then it will grow larger exponentially into other churches, other, fa other families. And uh, thanks for wanting to work with us, Father, even in our imperfection. Uh, just help us to not be afraid to see you and to be open to you using us. Help us to not be afraid. Help us to see the vision. Help us to know that we can make a difference. We love you, God. We thank you so much for giving us your son and his life, his example, his death, and his resurrection. Thanks for the grace we get and the forgiveness we receive through that. And just thanks for this weekend, Father. I look forward to many more annual church retreats with this wonderful family. Thanks for this time. Uh, help us to enjoy the moments we have before we leave. Keep us safe. And uh, just thanks for that. We love you, God. We pray all this through Christ. Amen. So we have, have a couple more things, but one thing we want to leave you with from this kind of section is a challenge as a closing out sort of thing of the retreat and talking and stuff like that is about community as a challenge for you as you go into your week this week. You've probably met someone new while you've been at the retreat, or you got to talk with someone that you only were barely a little bit acquainted with more. You got, maybe you got paired on a walk and talk. Maybe you played some ping pong with them or whatever it is. But the challenge is to spend some time with them this next week. Don't delay. Don't wait. Get some one-on-one -on -one hangout time. Continue that relationship that kind of started. These retreats for many, many people, whether it's like fall camp, if you're in focus, or retreats, if you've come up through the family of churches, are huge for building friendships. Many people can point back to retreats in fall camps for times that they were able to build really important friendships in their lives. So don't delay. Uh, hang out with someone that you met this week. Get their number if you didn't already. Don't wait on that. That's the challenge, okay? And we'll know if you did it. Okay, grab your communion cup. We're going to take communion, and then I'm going to give you some instructions for cleanup, and we'll be done. So I think it's really hard to read the Bible and not see how important meals were in Jesus' life and in the way that he taught. Um, in Luke 24, 30 through 35, there's a meal recorded after Jesus died and was raised from the dead. It was a meal on the road to Emmaus, and he had appeared to two disciples. And this is what it says. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. See, just a little before this, Jesus had done the same thing at the Passover. 
and they recognized Jesus as he broke the bread just as he did at Passover when he said, do this in remembrance of me. Can you put that picture up, please? So this is a picture of my kids, minus one and his wife, and all of their cousins at a dinner that we had July the 4th. This is what I think of when I think of communion, is a long table like this with everybody sitting at the table. Look how happy they all are. It's very rare that we get all of the cousins together, but it's about acceptance and it's about love and it's about service and what I would do and give for these people I'm at table with and who they are to me and who I am to them and who we serve together. But it's also about who's not there. It's about our loved ones that can't be there or who have passed on. It's about those who chose not to be there. It's about those who we are waiting to rejoin us. In particular, Jesus rejoining us to take his place at the head of the table. It's memories, it's laughter, it's tears, it's celebration, it's fullness of life. No wonder Jesus instituted a meal as a way to remember him. But I wasn't at this meal, and I missed it so much not being able to be there, but I was at a different meal. If you remember July the 4th, I was at a meal with you guys at the ranch. Most of you know that when Kurt and I travel, we try not to be gone on a Sunday. And it's not because I'm on staff and Kurt's a shepherd here. It's because we miss this when we're not there on Sunday. We know that you're having a special meal like this one, and we're not getting to participate in it. And we want to be there together with you to honor our God and to remember who we are when we're gathered around the table. So this morning, as we celebrate Jesus together, and as we consider who we are as his body and who he wants us to be, Let's look around the table and be reminded of the family we're a part of and of Jesus, who we anxiously await to take his place at the head of the table. And while we're waiting for his coming, let's make him proud in the way that we live for him. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much that we can sit at the table together Uh, We pray for the quick return of Jesus to take his place at the head of that table. And God, I pray that the way that we live our lives, who we are as individual disciples and who we are as a community will make y'all proud. I pray, God, that um, we would love people well like you've loved us well. And we just thank you so much for this weekend together. We thank you for the celebrating we've been doing all weekend long, and we join in celebrating you this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week, and you can get more information about that at dentonnorthchurch.com.